Amen. Amen. What a wonderful time of worship and celebrating communion together. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it up to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Rusty. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. Been here at all of like three or four hours. So, uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm really glad to be here, really glad to be hanging out with you. If you are watching online, we're super glad to have you. If you are on the Crossroad app, you can find, whether you're watching online or here, you can find a sermon study guide that will kind of walk through this. And not only for right now, but maybe later to look at and kind of think about what we've talked about together. You know that the Sunday morning sermon is not just for this 30, 40 hour or two, five or six hours, however long it takes, right here. Did you know that? The sermon that God gives us, whether it is me or one of our other teaching pastors, is for us to take and uh, chew on and think on and reflect on all throughout the week. So I encourage you to do that if you don't already. A couple of ground rules. Can we do this before we jump in? I need you to understand a couple things. First, I pastored for the last six years a church called Cornerstone, which Cornerstone and Crossroad both start with the same letter and sound very similar. So here's what we need to do, just an agreement right out of the gate. If I call you Cornerstone, that means Crossroad, fair? All right, good. Second thing that's even more difficult, in fact, I would say it's a lot more difficult, for 32 years, the default setting in my life geographically has been the great nation of Texas, okay? So the Lord has sent me as an exile here to the great state of Kansas. So the, the reason I say that is because already now, like twice in the last couple of months publicly, I've been like, just so glad to be here in Wichita, Texas. So uh, just know that if I say Texas, I'm talking about Kansas, okay, all right? Show a little grace. We just got to work on that, all right? So it's a project for all of us, but I am very glad to be here. I can speak for Mallory and the kids. We are so glad to be here serving alongside you guys. We're excited to see what God is going to do in the days ahead. And so we're starting here in 1 Peter 1 with the series we're calling Running Together. And I know that you can tell by looking at me, but yes, I am a runner. So, wow, okay. Appreciate that. Uh, no, obviously I don't run. In fact, I am the guy that if you see me running, you should be running too, okay? <laughs> just just a heads up. If I'm running, you ought to be running as well because something or someone is chasing me and it's a bad situation. But if you read throughout the scriptures, you're going to see that very often the Bible compares the life of a Christ follower to that of running a race. And I thought it was fitting that in our first few weeks together, we talked about what it looks like for us to run together as the people of God. As the people of God. So we come to this first message and the title of today's message is the heart of a runner. And what we're really trying to get to today is the motivation for our lives. Why do we do what we do? Why do we follow Christ? Why do we come to church? Why do we get connected to a life group? Why are we trying to reach, teach, live and love like Jesus? We're going to spend a couple of weeks looking at 1 Peter chapters 1 and 2. And we're going to see in this letter that Peter reminds the church of our reason to run. Some of you are probably familiar with that classic verse from 1 Peter 3 that says something along the lines of this. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Do you remember that verse? Here's what's crazy to me about that verse. Peter assumes that for us as Christ followers... That the way we live our lives will be so radically different, so full of hope that when people look at us, they will see a difference to the point that they approach us and say, hey, why are you so hopeful? 
I don't know about you, but it's been a while since that happened to me. I haven't had somebody walk up to me and say, Hey, Rusty, why are you so full of hope? Uh, They've accused me of being full of some other things, but that's another story, right? Why are you so full of hope? That hasn't happened to me. In fact, if I'm honest, I think a lot of times I tend to be pretty cynical, pessimistic, and just overall a downer. That's why I have so many friends. But I want to just, together today as we look at the word, I want us just to ask ourselves a question. What would happen if we were to live our lives in such a way that our neighborhoods, our workplaces, and even our families could notice the difference that Christ has made in us to the point that they walk up to us and say, what is different about you? Where did you get that hope? I think we're going to see here in First Peter that God would do an incredible work if we would wrap our lives around these truths. But we have to answer this question, why do we run this race? What is it that allows us to keep going? Because in our world, it's difficult to keep going. Trials come, difficulties come, struggles come, we get tired. And if you're like me, there are times where it's just hard to keep running. And we find ourselves giving up. But here in First Peter 1, God's going to give us a picture of the heart of a runner. And when we wrap our lives around his word and these truths, it's going to help us be ready to run and develop this heart of a runner. So let's read the Bible together here in First Peter 1. We're going to start in verse 3. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Here's what the word of God says to us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we open your word, my prayer is that you would help us to submit ourselves to it. Lord, that as we see your truth and as we hear your truth declared through your word, God, that we would live accordingly. Lord, encourage us where we need to be encouraged, convict us where we need to be convicted, challenge us, change us. Lord, as we submit ourselves to you, would you mold and shape us into individuals, families, and a church that's ready to be your people, ready to run together for the sake of the gospel. We're thankful for what you're going to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, 1 Peter is a letter that was written to the early church. If you were reading in verse 1, you may notice that uh, Peter introduces the letter by saying, to God's elect, the exiles who are scattered throughout, and then he lists a bunch of different towns there in verse 1. The early church was going through the midst of some very intense persecution. In fact, the Roman Empire was oppressing the Christians 
To the point that families were having to take everything and run for their very lives. The evil emperor Nero was not a fan of the Christians. In fact, uh, he was able not only for the government to kind of uh, attack the Christians, there was a real war on Christianity. Sometimes people talk about a war on Christianity today. Brothers and sisters, this doesn't even touch what was happening here. Nero uh, set fire, some historians believe, we don't really know who did it, but a great portion of Rome burned. Some think that Nero himself did it, but he ends up blaming the Christians. So now not only is the government against them, but really the whole city says, man, these Christians are bad news. So this very difficult persecution comes in. In fact, it was so bad that other historical documents We'll talk about Nero taking and murdering Christians and putting their bodies on top of stakes and burning them to use as lamps in his backyard parties. This was an evil, evil man doing very evil, evil things. And these are the people who Peter is writing this letter to. Exiles, aliens, people who had had to pick up everything they ever knew. And run, uh, they had to leave their families, their jobs, their careers, their everything they had ever known and run for their very lives. All because of their faith in Jesus. What's crazy to me is some of you maybe like me have studied through 1 Peter before. And and when I read 1 Peter, this letter, I don't really notice that this background matches the text. Let me just tell you something. If I were to have to address this group of people... If I were to write them a letter, it'd probably be like, hey guys, I'm really, really, really sorry about what's going on. Man, I can't even imagine what you guys are going through. This is so difficult. I'll be praying for you. If I can do anything, let me know. Hit me up on Facebook sometime. Like I I wouldn't have anything to share with them, right? It would be awkward and I wouldn't know what to say. But Peter doesn't take that direction, does he? What's Peter do? He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because you have a living hope. How can he write this way? How can Peter do this? How can he say, man, you guys are so lucky because you have Jesus. What Peter knew and these brothers and sisters needed to be reminded of is that the basis of their hope is not in their circumstances, The basis of their hope is not in their station in life and what's going on around them. The basis of their hope is Jesus. And you need to understand that the basis of hope in your life is not where you're at today, how you're feeling, what's going on around you. The basis of the hope that you and I have is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is not just a cool guy. He's not just uh, an idealistic man. He's not just a set of teachings. He's not just this ethereal kind of thing out there. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world who died on the cross to take the penalty for our sins so that those who call upon him as Lord and Savior can have eternal life and have a real relationship with our Heavenly Father. This is the Jesus that we're talking about. Hope is alive Because Jesus is alive. And this living hope, Jesus Christ, changes everything. So fast forward a couple thousand years. One of the things that amazes me about God and his word is that he knew that these words written through his servant to comfort the people of the exile would be used a couple thousand years later for a group of people in Wichita, Kansas. You're welcome. Got the state right. I'm feeling pretty good about that. 
God knew that a couple thousand years later that we would be wrapping around this together and these words would indeed be comforting us today. To be sure, we're blessed to live in this country. Let me tell you something. Warts and all, the worst persecution Americans face is not worth comparing to what these brothers and sisters endured. The reality is this. You and I do face trials. You and I do walk through difficult days. There are days when we get weary. There are things that make us say, God, why would you allow this to happen? Just this past few weeks, we've had several families that have lost loved ones. We've seen our country torn apart by political strife. There are things that happen almost daily that just make me say, Jesus, why don't you just come back and finish this thing? But don't miss this. While we may not be exiles in the same way that these brothers and sisters were, when Peter wrote this letter to the exiles, he was writing it to us as well. And I'm not just saying that as an exile of Texas. Here's the truth. Even if you've lived at your current address for a long time, some of you are like, I've been here my entire life. You need to understand something. This is not your permanent home. The old southern gospel song says, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. We have an eternal home that's waiting for us with our Savior. Romans 8, Paul says that our present sufferings aren't even worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us in Christ Jesus. There are things that we encounter here that cause us to groan, to weep, and to mourn. But even in the midst of the trials, even in the midst of the difficulties and the storms of life, Peter's inviting us to take our eyes off of our trials and to put them onto our living hope, Jesus Christ. So if we're going to run the race together, if we're going to run the race of life, well, it starts with us having our hearts and our minds set on Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I need these kind of reset moments in my life. When we observe communion, that's what we're doing in a very real and practical way. We gather and we're doing our rhythm of Sunday morning and we're singing. We're going to open the word and those are all good things. But when we stop down and we take the bread and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood poured out to to cover your sins. And we think of this together. We're reminded of what all of this is really about. And without those kind of reset moments in our lives, I know that I kind of get very inwardly focused. And I find myself getting very discouraged when I look at the circumstances in my life and the things going on around me. And there are times where it gets hard to stay in the race. I get tired and I just stop running altogether. But this is an invitation. I've been praying all week that the Lord would use this as a reset moment for us. So what we're going to see here in this text are three truths that will help us stay in the race and develop and keep the heart of a runner. To get us to keep going in the midst of difficult days to keep going these truths are going to help us do that so first we see this that jesus makes us alive though sometimes it's hard to tell when you look at us isn't it oh too too close to home sorry and we're like easy new guy you'll notice our founding pastor amen pretty good back there when i said that though so Jesus makes us alive. Listen, church, this is the reality of the Christian life. 
Our salvation means that Jesus has taken our spiritually dead lives and made us come alive. The word gospel literally means good news. And this is the good news of the gospel. That Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection paid the price for our sins and has given us new life. Because Jesus died, we died. And because Jesus is alive, we are alive. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. That literally means the old is dead and the new has come to life. And that is a work of Christ. This is the new birth that Peter's talking about in verse 3. And it's the idea of being born again that Jesus brings up in his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. But listen, this doesn't just happen. Hope is not just an ethereal thing. Hope is not just a political slogan or something that just makes us feel good and happy when we're going through bad situations. No, hope is real and tangible in Christ. It's a real and tangible hope, but it only comes through experiencing this new birth in Jesus. Do you want to experience real hope this morning? Real hope only comes through surrendering to Jesus the only way for us to have real hope. The question becomes for you and for me, do you have a living hope? Do I have a living hope today? If you don't have this living hope, let me just encourage you and invite you to experience real hope by surrendering your life to Jesus. He is real. He is alive. And because he's alive, you can be more alive today than you have ever been before. But it starts with surrendering your life to Jesus you need someone to talk to about that, our staff and our deacons will be here and they would love to have that conversation with you. We're going to be able to run this race well. First, we have to understand that Jesus makes us alive. The second thing we need to understand is this. Jesus guarantees our future. Jesus guarantees our future. Verse 4 says that this new birth gives us a living hope. Look at verse 4. Into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are being shielded by God's power. Hey, that's a pretty good shield if you need a shield in your life. Amen, right? God's power. It's important to understand this. This is an epic statement. Our future is secure and guaranteed in Christ. This needs to encourage you today, church, on a couple of levels. First, encourage you this way. That if you have been made alive, if you truly know Christ, then nothing, let me say that again, nothing can separate you from the love of God. If you were saved, you are saved for eternity. This is a theological point that needs to be made today. Once you are saved, you are always saved. It's what theologians would call security of the believer. Or if you're taking notes and want to sound smart later, you can write that down. Security to believer. But here's what it means. If you truly know Christ and you're truly saved, nothing can take that away. Listen, if Jesus is keeping our inheritance, our eternal life, and if his word says that it will never spoil or fade, then we can rest assured that he's got this. Let me just tell you, if it was up to me to keep my salvation, I'm in a bind, y'all. I'm not going to be able to do it. Let's say your inheritance is kept by Rusty. We would all be in a bad, bad way. But the same Jesus that saves us is the Jesus that keeps us. 
And he's big enough, strong enough, and God enough to take care of it. He's got this, y'all. Isn't that good to know? It's a work of his grace. But this guaranteed future doesn't just take effect when we die, okay? So we can praise God for that. He's got my salvation and it's there and now I'm just waiting on it. No, but this actually changes the way we can live today. This guaranteed future doesn't just take effect when we die. The guaranteed future changes the way that we face earthly dangers, trials, and struggles. Listen to me. Worry and fear have no place in the life of a Christ follower. Because our future is secure. We see this in God's word. I think about Paul's life. If you read the book of Acts, Paul had it rough. Anytime that a a pastor, even when I get discouraged as a pastor, I read the book of Acts and I'm like, no man, I got it good. Paul was stoned multiple times. He was whipped to within an inch of his life. He was in multiple shipwrecks. Like, I think one is enough for me to be like, okay, the Lord's just closing this door of ministry. I'm out. He shipwrecked multiple times. In fact, in one of the times, I just almost imagine him holding on to a piece of the wood from the ship, drifting to the island with the rest of the people, and they get there, and he's warming his hands by a fire. A snake jumps out and bites his head. This is in the Bible, y'all. I'm not making this up. You thought you were having a bad day. No. He just shakes it off into the fire and keeps going. Like, what is this guy's deal? How can he live this way? Here's what he said in Philippians. The, the real churchy way we've heard it, the way it reads is very plain. It says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. But you know what he's really saying? He's saying, what's the worst thing that could happen to me? I could die, and then I'd be with Jesus, which is literally the best thing that could happen to me. Christ follower, listen to me when I say this. The worst thing that could happen to you is actually the best thing that could happen to you. Now, some of you are getting nervous. You're like, they passed a drink around earlier and I drank it. I didn't know it was this kind of church. (laughs) Easy, not that kind of church. Because what's Paul say? But as long as God leaves me here, every beat of my heart, I'm going to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's an incredible perspective to have on life. And that's what the Bible's trying to lead us to here. When our future is secure in Christ, it gives us the heart to keep running. Listen, markets fail. Circumstances change. Our bodies stop working. But in an ever-changing world, we can be confident enough to keep running the race because our future is guaranteed and secure in Christ. And that leads us to this final truth, which really we kind of are already talking about a little bit. All of this talk about our future means that Jesus transforms today. Jesus transforms today. In verse 6, Peter says, in all this you rejoice. What is the all this? He's talking about this glorious living hope we have in Jesus. And he says, no matter what you're walking through, you can rejoice because you have Jesus. And here's the promise of the scripture. These trials that we're going through, these difficulties that we're facing today are refining us and purifying us and making us more like Jesus. Our faith is growing and we're getting closer to Jesus every single day. This is amazing. Don't miss this. Peter's saying that the gospel changes our perspective. The gospel changes the way we look at life. Because tomorrow is secure in Christ, today is a day to live boldly for Him. 
Because tomorrow is secure, I can live boldly for Jesus today. If we have ever needed this gospel perspective, Crossroad Church is today. It's today. The trials, the struggles, the storms of life that we face are not things that should stop us from running, but rather they are the actual reason that we can run the race. They're the things that enable us to keep going. The very things that give us the heart of the runner. And you need to understand why this gospel perspective is so important. You remember Genesis chapter 50 when Joseph has been through all of those incredible, crazy, difficult times in the book of Genesis, sold into slavery by his brothers, accused wrongly by his boss, thrown into prison just time and time again. You Again, just like I was talking about Paul, you read Joseph's story and you're like, man, this guy, at some point I'm out. But he says in Genesis 50 that what you intended for evil, talking to his brothers, God meant for good. Can I tell you something, church? So often the enemy, we have a real enemy. The enemy will tempt us to look at these things. The enemy will put things in our lives and all of a sudden we find ourselves down and out. But did you know that the very things that the enemy would try to use against you are things that God could use to develop the heart of a runner in you? Every single situation we find ourselves in, every circumstance that we face, we have an opportunity to let it take us out of the race or we have an opportunity to let it develop the heart of a runner. Are you looking at your life today with a gospel perspective? When we face difficult days, instead of saying, God, why am I going through this? The question ought to be, God, what are you doing in me and through me in this? Because we know that he has made us alive We know that he has guaranteed our future. So because we know that, we can live boldly for him today, whatever he's calling us to do. Church, listen to me. When we live like this, when we live like this, not only are we going to experience a new freedom that we haven't experienced before in Christ, not only are we going to live with this inexpressible joy that 1 Peter 1 talks about, but I believe we're going to find ourselves in the best position we've ever been before to actually reach, teach, live, and love like Jesus. We're going to find ourselves in a great position to reach, teach, live, and love like Jesus. I want to ask you to pray with me over the next few weeks that God would help us to be a church that runs together towards the mission he's called us to. I believe that God has called us here for such a time as this to reach, teach, live in love like Jesus in such a way that wins this community to Christ. And he can do it if we will run together. But you know what? Today is kind of a very personal call. We can't run together if we're not running individually. Some of you, they maybe have dropped out. Some of you maybe have stopped running somewhere along the way because you're just too discouraged. You're going through too many things. Life's gotten too hard. Too many things have been thrown at you. I want to invite you today to reflect upon this word that God has given us. To adopt a new perspective on your life. A gospel perspective. That allows you to see that everything God has done, everything that has happened to you, everything that you are walking through today is an opportunity to develop the heart of a runner. And when we allow God to do that individually and his families and then we come together as the people of God, as the people of Crossroad Church and we start running together for the sake of the gospel, I believe we are going to reach, teach, live and love like Jesus in a way that transforms 
this community for Christ. Are you ready to run today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the call that you have given us through your word. Lord, I know this is a difficult message because even as we bring up these things, Lord, things that each and every one of us are struggling with, these things are very personal, the things that stop us from running the race of life. God, we know that regardless of what those things are, that you know them and that you were there and you were in the middle of those situations. And God, even the darkest of days and the most difficult of circumstances in our lives are ready to be used by you to make us into the people you want us to be. So God, I pray that you would help us individually over the next few days as we reflect upon this word to get back in the race, to start running again so that as we as a church come together, that we could run together in such a way that we can make a difference. Thank you for the cross. We thank you that you are alive today and because you are alive, we are alive. I pray that my brothers and sisters and everybody, even online under the sound of my voice today, would be as alive as they have ever been because of you. Thank you for the living hope.